Here at Peniel, the name Peniel means the face of God, does it not? Many of us know that. Some of us just learned that now for the first time. Uh, Peniel means the face of God. And to us, that is not obscure because we have an image, Christ, the image of the Most High God. He is the face of God to us today. He's the one who came down as God and revealed himself to us, and revealed to us the great mysteries that have long been hidden for centuries prior to his coming. And in Matthew chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there with us today, that's where we will be as we address this last temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness by Satan. And this temptation deals with one of those mysteries that has been hidden up until this point in redemptive history. And I want to ask a question. How many of you have ever painted before? Anything. Painted. Painted anything. Now, Rich, you're kind of the professional painter here. Have you ever painted over something rotten? Yeah. And many of us, others, others of us have done that. Um, does that make the rotten thing not rotten? Does that take away the rot? Why not? I mean, it looks nicer, right? It covers it. It doesn't take away the rot, though? I mean... I wanted, to, I wanted to ask a scientist this. Like, I thought that paint took away the rot. I mean, isn't that why we paint over it? So that we can get rid of the rot? No, but we all know that. It's all common sense to us here. We didn't have to necessarily even ask a professional painter. When you paint over a piece of wood that's rotten, that doesn't make the wood not rotten. It makes it look nicer, but it doesn't make it not rotten. Similarly, if you put some rust oleum over some rust over a rusty part, that rusty part is still rusty. <laughs> it's just covered up. And here in the temptation, this last temptation of Jesus, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. It's an analogy of what Satan essentially is trying to get Jesus to do. So Matthew chapter 4, let's look in verse 8 here. Again, the devil took him up, Jesus, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, talking about John the Baptist, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region... And shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here, in this last temptation and the verses that follow this temptation, we are starting to see Jesus rising, just as that prophecy said, just like, like the sunrise in the morning. You can kind of see the top of the sun peeking over the horizon. 
At this point, we start seeing Jesus being that sun, just peeking over the horizon, rising so that people might see a great light. But first, we have to get through this temptation. And Satan knows that Jesus is rising. He's a light about to be seen. And he wants to keep that sun down. He wants to keep the people in darkness. So he offers Jesus one last temptation. What is that? Let me read that again. And he says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, I don't know what this scene actually looked like. You know, all, all we can see here is that Satan somehow transported Jesus onto the top of a high mountain. And from there, he gave Jesus a view of all the kingdoms on the earth. Not just the kingdoms, but their glory. The glory of all the nations throughout all the earth. I don't know all the details of what Jesus saw. Perhaps he saw you know, just the, the cityscape of these massive, thriving uh, centropolises, centropoli, however you say that. He saw the buildings, the palaces, the great structures that different nations have built. Perhaps he saw those. Perhaps he saw kings sitting on thrones, passing judgment, writing decrees. Perhaps he saw the storehouses, the treasuries. Perhaps he saw all the wealth that these nations had built up. Perhaps that's what Satan showed Jesus Christ. We don't know every single thing that Jesus saw during this event here, but we see that Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world, every single kingdom of the world. He showed, them the, he showed him the glory of those kingdoms, the power, the might, the wealth, the majesty gave Jesus a view of these things. And Satan said to him, all these things I'll give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Now what is, Jesus, now what is Satan saying? Let me paint another picture. What if Jesus took him up on this? What would then happen? He said, okay, Satan, I'll take the nations. I'll take them and I will do what I want with them. And that's the kind of Jesus that the people were crying for, a Jesus who would conquer all the nations, who would bring this theocracy that Israel has been under for centuries and spread it throughout the whole world. Jesus, can you imagine? Jesus, the emperor of the whole world. Don't you think that he, God in the flesh, would be able to get rid of poverty. That he would be able to abolish abortion. He would be able to abolish human trafficking. He would lay low those who take advantage of people, the oppressors. He would wipe out the dictators. He would establish a government throughout the whole world that would actually work. And it would bring peace to all people, if Jesus would just take up Satan's offer here, he could have had all the nations to do with as he pleased. He could have been the emperor of the whole world and brought what everybody has been searching for. After all, when Jesus was born, did not the angels say, peace, goodwill to men? 
Isn't that what the angel said Jesus would bring? Peace and goodwill to men. And this is what all the people have been looking for. This is what Israel has been looking for. This is what you and I are looking for. Every time we open a newspaper, we see war. We see depravity. We see murder. All sorts of wickedness. Jesus, God in the flesh, could establish a government to suppress the oppressors. To give peace to the oppressed. To bring justice. Finally, what the world has been looking for. Justice. He could have brought that. If only he just takes Satan up on this offer. But remember this illustration that I began with about painting over the rotten wood. Making it look nice. But it's still rotten. You know, at one point in Jesus' ministry, he was addressing the Pharisees. He was rebuking them because they were hypocrites. And he said, you people are just whited sepulchers. Your beautiful gravestone, but underneath, there's just nothing but death. You look good. You're following the moral code, which I say loosely. You look religious. You look satisfactory. You look like people are keeping the law of God. You're leading the people in it. But underneath, you're dead. You're rotten. There's corruption. What lies beneath that beautiful gravestone is nothing. It's vanity. It's emptiness. And this is exactly what Satan is trying to get Jesus to submit himself to. Yeah, glorious. It sounds awesome to create a government where all of the world's problems could be dealt with and addressed and, and peace could reign, justice could reign. Finally, the people would follow in the law of God because Jesus, God in the flesh, would know how to make this happen. But is that what Jesus came to do? Is that what we really want? Is that what we really need? Is a better government? More, more moral people. More moral self. Is that what we need? Is that what Jesus came for? To just make everything better? <clears throat> to make us just more moral to make us come to church. To make everybody go to church. To make everybody stop doing all the sins that they're doing. Stop lying, cheating, and stealing. For some of us, the answer is yes. You know, we want to see all the orphans off the streets. We don't like seeing kids without parents. We don't like seeing these innocent children suffering at the, because of the sins of their fathers. We don't like see, seeing little girls trafficked into different forms of slavery because of the wickedness of the hearts of men. We don't like to see that. 
Jesus, would you just come and wipe this out? We don't like to see our loved ones suffering with sickness. We don't like to see our loved ones falling into sin and bearing the consequences for those sins. If only they just hadn't made those choices. Ah, if Jesus would only just come and take charge of this situation, it could all be different. And Satan offered Jesus this opportunity to just make a difference in these things, to just do it, to just get it done, to take over. Say, guys, you aren't doing a good job here, so I'm going to take the wheel. I'm going to take control of all the governments in the world. I'm going to redo everything. Make it so that it actually works. And so that people actually have direction. So that people actually keep the law. So that people, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to imprison or whatever with these traffickers. I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that fathers actually parent their children and not leave their kids in an orphanage. I'm going to make sure this, I'm going to make sure that, I'm going to fix all these different problems. Jesus could do that. And that's what Satan is telling him. Jesus, you could do this. Look at all the problems, all the suffering in the world. I'm going to give you charge of all of it. I'm going to put it all under your charge. If only you just bow the knee. Right now, all you got to do is bow the knee. Easy peasy. Then you get your kingdom. You know, after all, Jesus, your heavenly father has given you a will that includes all sorts of suffering. You don't have to be crucified, Jesus, to get your kingdom. You don't have to go through all of that. Just bow the knee to me. You don't have to keep bowing the knee to your father. I mean, his plan involves suffering, death, pain. And still everybody's going to be rotten. I mean, how can your Heavenly Father's plan be better than my plan, Jesus? Just bow the knee to me. I'll just give you the charge of all of this. So you can do whatever you want with it. Just a simple knee bow, Jesus. And all of it can be yours. You can fix whatever you want. How does Jesus respond? He says, then Jesus said to him in verse 10, Away with you, Satan! Away with you! Get out of here! Stop this! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Jesus says, Get out of here. That's enough. I am not submitting to this, Satan. Why? My Father is God. There is none other that I can worship because nobody nobody else deserves worship. I can't worship you, Satan. You're not God. We should only worship God. Look at Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. Starting in verse 7. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 7 through 9. The way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our souls is for your name. 
And for the remembrance of you with my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And then jump down to verse 15. He says, you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. And back in that verse, and back in verse 8, he says, O Lord, we have waited on you. We know your judgments. We know your law. We know your word, Lord. We know your power. We have seen it on display for centuries. We know what you're capable of. We know that there's nothing too hard for you. If you wish to create justice throughout the whole world, you could do it. But until then, we wait on you. We wait on you. And then look at chapter 27 in Isaiah, verse 6. It says, Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. And here he starts to associate this will of the Lord, the effect that God has in the world. He compares it to a plant, okay? Maybe a viney plant. I, there was a time when me and Kristen, we were growing pumpkins and cucumbers at the same time, which ended up being a huge mess. You know why? <laughs> what? They crossed. They crossed because they're a viney plant and they just keep on going. <laughs> they just keep on reaching out. Until the season's over, they just keep on growing. They go, they go, and they go. And they bear all sorts of fruit. I mean, I think we plucked cucumbers off of those cucumber plants for two months straight. They just kept, out, kept pushing out cucumbers. And those vines just kept growing. You know, and, and here, it, it, he's giving this picture. It says, Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. But if you've ever grown cucumbers or pumpkins or any kind of plant before, the moment you plant the seed, is that when you get fruit? No, it's not. You have to what? You have to wait. You wait. And you wait some more. <laughs> and one day, you know, just because you're hungry today doesn't mean I'm going to go plant this seed in the ground and then I'll have dinner. That's not how a farmer operates. If a farmer operates like that, then they're going to be very disappointed. Just because you're hungry, you don't go plant the seed and get your fruit. You, plant, you plan out well in advance. There's times and seasons that you're in areas that you're supposed to plant each type of different food. And you can research it. There's this thing called the Google. <laughs> you can look up, how, when should I plant this type of vegetable? When should I plant this? How long is it going to take? What kind of sunshine does it need? What kind of, you know, how much should I water it? How much shade does it need? You can look those things up and you plant it and you wait. Jesus told another parable, which was read by Rich just a few minutes ago in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to look there real quick, we'll read that together. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. Let me actually, before we start in verse 31, I want to kind of read the end here. 
Matthew gives us a little bit of a description of why Jesus is telling us this parable. In verse 34, it says, All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. Why? I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. This was something that was not completely understood from the foundations of the world, this parable that he was going to teach them. And honestly, not just these parables, but all the parables that Jesus told, he told for a reason. In another place, the Bible says that Jesus taught him parables so that those with ears to hear would understand, and that those who did not have ears to hear would not be able to understand. So even though he's revealing through parables things hidden from way back, those who have no fear of God, people have no desire to know the truth, they're not, they're still, it's still going to be kept secret to them. Because the Bible says that faith starts the process, okay? And then you see. You submit your way into the Lord, and then He guides your path and teaches you the great truths of the Scriptures. But first, you submit your way to Him. If you will not submit your way to Him first, if you will not fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, then you will not be wise. It starts with saying, God, you are right and just in all your ways, and I will follow you no matter where that takes. And then He reveals to you His truth, His way. And that's why Jesus spoke in parables, so that those who truly humbled themselves before the Lord would see and understand. But those who had their own agenda, who had their own desires they would leave and still be confounded. And here he says, this parable he's teaching, he's revealing the secret things from the, kept secret from the foundations of the earth. So let's read this parable, verse 31. And another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which, is a, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So he says, this is the way the kingdom of God works. This is the way the kingdom of God works. What in the world is he talking about? How in the world does the kingdom of God work like a seed? I mean, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' own early life taught this prophecy. Jesus could have come just came down like a king, descended from heaven, just like he ascended to heaven, in the clouds, from the clouds, down upon the temple of Israel, revealing clearly, I am the Christ, the Messiah, I have come to save you all. He could have come just like that. But no, what happened? He was born as a baby in a small town. Not just in a small town, but in a barn. You ask the question I ask the question sometimes to my kids, were you born in a barn? Well, Jesus was born in a barn. And then he lived in Nazareth, Nowheresville. Nobody cared about Nazareth. Nothing ever happened in Nazareth. But then at the end of Matthew chapter, this passage that we read in Matthew chapter 4, we see there came the right time after 30 years when now the sun is starting to peak 
over the horizon. The time is drawing near. That's also why Matthew takes the time to say, well, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist was put into prison. That's when Jesus came out of the shadows. Why? John the Baptist came to introduce. And when the introduction was done, John the Baptist, it was time, it was time for him to decrease. He said it himself. He must increase and I must decrease. So when the time was right, Jesus rose. John the Baptist fell. And this is a similar way here. This is the parable that Jesus is speaking here. Like the mustard seed, you plant this tiny little seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? I used to, somebody gave me a pen once that had, it was a pen, but then at the top there was like a little glass window that had a mustard seed in the top. And it just had, the, had, this, had this verse on there, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And it's just a constant reminder that tiny little seed, you plant it in the ground and it grows exponentially. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of times the size of the little seed that was planted. And it grows over time. It grows over time. It doesn't just shoot up. Now I, learned, I heard that there was this particular type of bamboo plant. I can't remember the, the, the name of it. But this typical this bamboo plant, it doesn't even sprout for two or three years. It just sits in the ground. It just sits there. But then after two or three years, all of a sudden, it's 20 feet tall. It just took time. It took time to grow till the time was right for it to shoot up from the ground and reveal itself to, to do what it was made to do. A mustard seed is not made to bear apples. A mustard seed is made to bear a mustard plant. I don't like mustard, but this is the parable. Um, and then he goes on to say in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal, and it was leavened. Do you stick leaven? Those of you who have made bread before, do you sprinkle some leaven in this dough, and then all of a sudden, poof, it's ready. It's bread. Woo, time to eat. No, you've got to let it sit. You, gotta, you have to let it prove Sometimes you have to let it prove twice so that it rises and, and you get all of those different alcohols mixing in with, the, with the, the flour there to give it its flavor, to give it its size. But it takes time. You have to be willing to wait. If you have company coming in 10 minutes, now is not the time to start your bread. You should have started it a couple hours ago, maybe even longer, depending on whatever type of bread you were trying to make. It takes time. And that the kingdom of heaven is like these things. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And look at John chapter 10, verses 16. Still, it's been a couple thousand years, right? <laughs> Isn't that time enough? How long does, does he have to prove, right? John chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, look at verse, 15, look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, Jesus still isn't done. As long as his kingdom has not been fully revealed, he's not done bringing in sheep to the fold. There are other people ready to come 
that he has called to his gospel, to his name, to come and worship him before the throne who will bow the knee and be saved. See, the kingdom still is not ready to be fully revealed. It is still working. Just like our sanctification. When we get saved, we are made righteous, but our lives take time to actually show it. See, Christ established his eternal kingdom when he died on that cross. But it is still taking time to fully prove. And this is the way the kingdom of heaven works. Satan had a different plan. Satan said, no, let's just take care of this now. Let's just take care of this now, Jesus. You're here. I'm here. If you'll just bow the knee, you can go and take over the world. Go ahead. And you can make everything the way you want it to be. And frankly, a lot of us operate like that in our lives. We don't want the real Jesus to take care of the things that he wants to take care of. How he wants to take care of it. I mean, have you ever seen somebody get saved? Okay, they received Christ as their Savior. And now you have all these expectations for them. Man, they have to be perfect now. They just accepted Christ as their Savior. Their sins are forgiven. Why are they still struggling? They've got the power of God within them. Why in the world are they still struggling? Come on, I expect more out of you. We're like that with our kids. I teach my kids something once. Come on, I thought I taught you, I thought I taught you better than this. 25 times later. Come on, haven't I taught you this 25 times? takes time, maturity, even the way we operate as people. It's woven into how the kingdom of God works. We mature, we grow, we prove over time. It all works in time. You want, you've been praying for that person. God, why are you not answering my prayer? Time. That's how the kingdom of heaven works time. I mean, God has been operating like this for thousands of years. Do you think that everything in your 90 years of life is supposed to be immediate? Is God patient throughout all of human history except for in your life? The mysteries from the foundation of the world. His kingdom is patient, a patient kingdom. And a patient kingdom, just like a bread. If you're patient with the bread, it will be delicious. If you are impatient with your bread, it will be disgusting. And God's kingdom is a patient kingdom. We want our satisfaction now. We want our righteousness now, as far as how we're living our life. We were forgiven. We can be confident in the fact that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ... He forgives all of our sins and we are just as righteous as Jesus Christ. That is why righteousness is not attained through moral law, moral code, having the right ethical system, being part of the right political party, as though we have the right to determine what's right about all of these things. And we think that, you know what, I'm not ready to wait on God to sanctify me. I have to do it myself by establishing all of these different things in my life so that I can look the part. 
And I'm going to place all of these expectations on everybody else that I know, too. If you don't look like this, you're not righteous. If you don't look like this, you're not really saved. If you don't read this Bible or wear these clothes or go to this type of church or this or this or this, you're wrong. As though we had all the mysteries of the universe revealed to us. How do we how do we kneel the knee the bow the knee to Satan? You know, I was having a conversation with a, a guy at the Starbucks and Price Chopper <laughs> about something like this. We were chit chatting and somehow the conversation got on to why don't we really see demon possession the way we the way it's exemplified in Scripture here in our society. You know, I said. I don't think Satan, I think Satan knows he doesn't need to do that. We're already all possessed. We've already bowed the knee to Satan because all we really care about is this little kingdom that we have here. Everything that we see, that's what we care about. We don't care about the true kingdom of God that rests underneath, that purifies what's underneath, that has a plan for what's underneath, that has a plan for the unseen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if we are to please God, we must walk by faith, not by sight. How do you know that you've bowed the knee to Satan? Just like this temptation. All you care about is your little kingdom. All you care about is the things that you see, the things that you can touch, the things that you can control. That's all you care about. And that's all you care about for other people too. That's how you know you've bowed the knee to Satan's temptation. It's the things that you see that aggravate you or compel you or tempt you. Or... But what's inside is left completely ignored. The kingdom of God, the true kingdom of God, is left completely ignored. All you care about is, i got to go to church because that's the right thing to do. I have to take my kids to church because I want them to, to have a good foundation. I, ha I have to change this about my life. I need to change this about my spouse's life. <laughs> um, I need to do this with my job and make this much money and, and do all of these things. Oh yeah, I'll tithe off of that. Oh yeah, I'll tithe, I'll tithe, I'll tithe. To make yourself feel a little bit better about your carnality. Look at all the things I've done, all the people I've helped. That's great. And you know what? When we are made righteous and we're forgiven and we're brought into the eternal kingdom, while we yet live, our life will transform. The Bible does say, let those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We're supposed to depart from iniquity. We're supposed to bring, seek justice for the oppressed. But if that's what you're looking at as the kingdom, you are off base. That's the kingdom that Satan wants you to live in. He doesn't care if you go to church, just as long as you're doing it in the name of your kingdom. Yeah, have your ethical system. Have your moral codes. Yeah, I don't need you to murder your neighbor. I don't need you to adulterate. As long as you're just consumed with your little kingdom, I don't need you to do all these other sins. I've already got you. I don't need to possess people in this nation. No, actually, that would be counterproductive to my plans, Satan might say, because then people would know there's a spiritual realm. They're just satisfied in their physical realm. What more do I need to do? How can they, how can they have eternal life? 
if they will never see past their physical life. His job is done. No need for extravagant possessions, as far as demon possession, I mean. Because we are already possessed by our extravagant possessions. The things that we own. Satan was trying to convince Jesus, just own the world. And it's the same temptation he presents to you, just own the world. There's so much out there for you to enjoy, just go get it. And when we say, yes, that makes sense. There is so much for me to go obtain. There is so much that I can accomplish for myself, physically, religiously. We bow the knee to Satan. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is like the seed that is planted in our soil, the soil of our soul. And it grows, and it flourishes, and it takes over us. That does reveal a change in our life. But it starts from the inside of our souls. That's where it germinates. That's where it makes the big difference. That's where the roots are. David is the root of Jesse. And he is that seed. The gospel is that seed that is planted inside of us. But then, when it is fully grown, it looks nothing like the seed. But it could not have happened without the seed. Inside that little seed, the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, you know, just have you ever looked at a seed and cut it open? There's no tree in there. There's no little little baby tree inside that seed. It doesn't look like anything like the tree. It doesn't look like anything like the apple that was produced by the tree. Nothing. There's no bark. There's no uh, leaves. But that's planted and it transforms into something magnificent that you could have never imagined by just looking at the seed. And too many of us are trying to build the tree without ever having the seed planted within. We think that just because I helped all these people, or I've done these things, or I haven't done these things, I go to this church, I don't go to that church. I'm good. And that's Satan. You know, why do you feel like you, maybe you don't, maybe you feel like you don't really suffer temptation or spiritual struggle a whole lot? Well, maybe it's because you're already submitted to it. You're already drowned in it. We must remember what the kingdom of heaven is really like. Satan, because Satan, he'll give you a counterfeit kingdom all day long. And that counterfeit kingdom looks really nice. And it has a lot of good things involved in it. Because he, does, he doesn't need you to go sin just as long as you don't receive the seed. Just as long as the eternal kingdom does not take root in your heart and your soul. Go do your moral things. Fine. I don't care, Satan says. Just don't submit yourself to God. Don't submit yourself to Jesus Christ himself. Submit yourself to a moral code. Submit yourself to your church. Don't submit yourself to God. And Jesus says, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We give no honor to any establishment. We don't give honor to Peniel Bible Church. We give honor to God. We do not give honor to anything except for God himself. All others, all other things, these hymns, these pews, this church, these rooms, 
if they are not in some way bringing honor in our eyes upward, then they are rubbish. They are the vessels of Satan. And we don't even know it. We must look up. We must not look here. That is the kingdom of God. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And when we bow the knee to God, abiding in him, verse 11, then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Bam. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? By bowing the knee to God. Bowing the knee to the true God. And then after this, Jesus begins to rise, to be seen by the world. And next week, we'll start to look at that in more detail. He's going to call his disciples. We'll look at that process. He's going to heal some people. And then after that, we start, we're going to start, it's probably going to take us several months to get through the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded Matthew 5, 6, and uh, 7. And this Sermon on the Mount is going to be exciting because this is kind of like, it's almost like a manifesto, sort of speak. This is how the kingdom of God works, practically. But just because you keep a moral law does not mean you're part of the kingdom of God. You're an illegal alien, so to speak. You have to have that root. True salvation, true forgiveness. Answer me this question and we'll, and we'll be dismissed. Answer me this question, not out loud. Are you just as righteous as Jesus Christ? Your answer to that question will determine, do you understand the gospel? Because the gospel of Christ says, God made him who knew no sin to be made sin, so that you can be made the righteousness of God in him. If you have truly been saved and forgiven of all your sins, you are just as pure, just as clean, just as righteous as God. If you could not answer yes to that question, it's because you see this kingdom, this kingdom of stuff, this kingdom of works. And you need to come and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because nothing you've done up to this point is pleasing unto the Lord, no matter how pleasing it might be to other people. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews says. Are you just as righteous as Jesus Christ? You could be. Will you accept his salvation? Will you submit yourself to his kingdom? Not your kingdom, his kingdom. Will you submit yourself to that?